as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. here to discuss international women's holiday we got a theme working a holiday for uh, numerous works of fiction and one of them happens to be Rosalian Isles and it's obviously inspired by show uh Cagney and Lacey and so welcome to the show Chris thank you were you always kind of a big tv person for serving in the military and I kind of always liked the shows especially those that had to deal with women and what their professions were because we didn't have a lot of that, you know, growing up, there wasn't, even in the military, I couldn't do some jobs early on because I was a woman. I couldn't go to certain bases and that. So when I watch television, I like to see women doing some of the things that, you know, I mean, we're supposed right. to all be equal. And so it's like, but, yeah, show me some women cops and, you know, yeah, but, all the shows about men all the time. Well, and before we got so heavily involved with politics and other bullshit, and it's just like, it really was hard to kind of find something where it's like, okay, the woman, well, name me a show where the woman isn't the damsel in distress or, you know, just the beautiful person, you know, <laughs> and, and um, it's the same thing with, you know, finding other minorities, you know, well-represented. It's like, can we find one where they're not playing a thug this week and can they right. play a doctor and, it seemed like everything pretty much had to be kind of plot devices versus it could be a naturally well-told fun story. And uh, I take it uh, with Rosalia and I was like, I guess you were already kind of a fan of both leads. Uh, had Angie Harmon from Law and Order and it had Shasha Alexander from NCIS. <laughs> right. Okay. So neat. You know, I mean, and I guess you could say both shows are a perfect example of if you've already, you know, done a very winning persona, you don't really have to worry about stretching it. It'll just come naturally. You know, it's like, okay, so I'm going from one authority figure role to the next, but mm -hmm. that's fine. People like that. You know? <laughs> well, it's yeah. just like with Angie Harmon. I mean, she, she did the NCIS. I mean, the she didn't do NCIS. That's all good. Law and Order. <laughs> she, she did Law and Order, but then she also did the Baywatch. <laughs> yeah, where she played a cop. Way back then. <laughs> and then with the Cody Banks and that, and she's always kind of been kind of authoritative kind of person in in those roles. 
I'm sure she had a good agent too. I think she just said right up front, just like, okay, I'm not going to do these kinds of roles. I'm not going to do, you know, cute girlfriend. Like, I got to be oh. some every day kind of cool idealist, you know, and uh, it is kind of fun just always seeing her in interviews because she would always just do the various um, uh, just other personas where she would kind of just have a little bit of utter dry humor or deliver a big winning speech so it's like okay pretty cool <laughs> just like her role in the women's murder club i mean playing inspector boxer it's like that's kind of like a jane rizzoli it's just <laughs> the other was in san francisco and this is in boston she's friends with the medical examiner in both and it's like wow okay and her right, personality right. is basically the same in both i mean oh, she like has a partner you know, that's been married and divorced three times in both. And there's just a lot of similarities. So. Right. <laughs> um, and it is interesting how that show was on quite a lot for the 2010s. And I was in college, so I would only see parts of it. And ironically, the first episode I saw was like the season one cliffhanger where she gets injured by like one of the crooked cops in the shootout. I'm like, jeez, spoiler. <laughs> and so I'm so glad I went through it. Hulu still has it on streaming and Star TV air, and Lifetime will air reruns. So it's like, okay, perfect. <laughs> so it's it's going to keep finding an audience. People are going to find it one way or the other, whether casually. They will, yeah. Especially, I mean, it's on HBO Max now, Rizzoli and Isles is. And it's oh, like nice. You have different generation. My 10-year-old great nieces watch it with me. Every time they come over to my house, can we watch Rizzoli and Isles? And I have to leave it right where they were because they know. It's like, Aunt Chris, we're on season three. It's like, okay, I've moved on. They're like, you watched it without us? It's like, yeah, I've watched it like 10 times already. Like, <laughs> it is kind of getting funny in the world of streaming now. It's like everyone's prepared to watch whatever show that they're approved to watch. and, and you just come to whatever area that you want in the show. And like you say, it's easy to, again, just kind of say, well, I want some time to kill, you know? And so I, I, I want to watch this episode or now I've seen it to that. You guys go on it w without me. <laughs> We've had to, I myself, I've had to do chats like that. It's like, well, you guys weren't in a mood to watch TV that night and I wanted to watch it. So. <laughs> or, you, or you want to pick me up episode. And there's some really good episodes where the interaction between the two main characters just has you feeling really good about things. And it's like, so, you know, you can go to your history and it's like, okay, let me go to season three episode this and let me watch that. Cause I want to feel good. And it's and not easy. And it's so visual where it's like, yeah, no, you just got to see it. It's not easy to describe. <laughs> it's, it's uh, heartwarming TV in the most uncanny way, and <laughs> it doesn't feel false, really, in most parts of it. I mean, even when they abnormally will solve a crime, is like, yeah, but there was some other buildup to how they just kind of, how they're wired, how they mm -hmm. think atypically, and how they're appreciated by the most atypical kind of people after kind of having uncommon uh, childhood developments, and I think that was kind of interesting because, you know, as a counterpoint, you know, I mean, Lacey is kind of more of a just fun, just that was one of the few shows that at that time was just kind of showing, you know, it was before Hill Street Blues and it was after Magnum P.I., which ironically, Tyne Daly had already guest starred on a key episode of, and it's like, 
yeah, it was like, those are just countering, again, sexism in the workplace, um, uh, other common New York type uh, level crimes where, you know, people were just being ambushed uh, after dark or mm -hmm. uh, being threatened by unknown assailants. And it's like, that that show does an interesting counterpoint of just it's pretty much just a roller coaster every episode <laughs> just, and that's why it, you know when we were talking before the show how is like some of that music is a little dated because it just it feels like something you'd hear in a slasher or exploitation movie half the time or batman <laughs> it's just like well it's not that kind of show but i can understand where they were kind of going because it's just kind of well, how things were done back then <laughs> right well and it imitates i told you i'm in the atlanta area and our former chief of police was lesbian. And she came up in Atlanta and had been there for 25 years. And she said the way that she was treated, you know, as a woman being on the police force was totally different. And so when I was researching her, and it's like, wow, that's totally different. I mean, she had the whole, you know, the other dynamic of being, you know, lesbian but just being a female on the force and rising through the ranks and she commented in one article how she didn't she never made detective and she wanted to be a detective but you know it just it didn't happen for her and she ended up down the road being chief of police and it's like it's just you know you can watch the different progression and so i think the tv shows try and show that too and show the dynamics with the husband i think it was harvey on cagney and lacy i think you know, her husband, didn't he lose his job at one point? And so she was the breadwinner working and yeah. trying to support the family. They never show his job, but yeah, they kind of just give you a hint. It's like, uh, yeah, so right now his job is to put food on the table for her when she comes in here or he has to decide, well, let's go to the restaurant and eat out because you know, we're both hungry. And Right, and so they're dealing with those dynamics that actually happen in the real world. And they're trying to bring, you know, all that up in the show and, I really yeah. got to say, both shows really do a good job of showing different levels of middle class and poverty without mm -hmm. being melodramatic. Like, you know, like Jane, you know, Rizzoli on the other show, I mean, it shows a good job of showing how, you know, she's got to be a good example to both her brothers, one who's an ex-con who she's having to learn to get over her prejudice because, you know, she he is, after all, her youngest, you know, more mischievous brother. And then, you know, uh, the older brother is trying to be a cop just like her. And she's like, well, right. are you sure? Okay. Oh, I see. Because, oh, you know, we love our mother, but she drives us crazy. And <laughs> I mean, we can only see, be I with can, her a certain amount of time. I can deal with a lot of that. So well, having an older brother and two younger sisters, and, you know, you're caught in trying to be the example for those to follow. And me being the oldest girl, it's like I did have my two younger sisters, you know, watching what I was doing you know, what career I was going to go into and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, neither one of them followed. Well, it's weird. We all ended up working in, a, um, for the mail, not mail, U.S. mail. I ended up working for a stint where I, I ran a post office in the military. My mm -hmm. sister worked for UPS corporate in Atlanta. And my other sister was actually working for UP, USPS. And it's like, so it was really weird that, you know, we all kind of got into a thing where we were handling boxes and mail and <laughs> nice. none of us working for the same people. And my brother was off doing drugs and alcohol and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, it's just weird. The, the three of us girls were all kind of doing the same thing at the same time. So, 
Uh, they congrats. all knew I wanted to be a cop, but it just, it never worked out for me, but I could watch it on TV and I could see the women do all that stuff. And I learned how to shoot and got marksmen and all that kind of stuff. And I actually worked for the cops in the military. And so I was able to take some of that training that I got with them and from what I saw on TV and that, and it's like, it's kind of weird. Nice. Or kind of and neat at the same time. So. Oh, that is neat. Um, and I actually had a pal, uh, Jeremy, who I'll name drop a few times on this, these kind of episodes. Uh, he was also a military cop. So he decided, yeah, he's like, I'm not going to do just kind of dangerous missions, but I'm totally going to, you know, patrol a base, make sure everyone's in their bunk, you know, by a certain time, <laughs> not doing anything mischievous on the base. And but like just uh, congrats on working for the Postal Service because, you know, it's it can be a good job and it's not easy to get into for everyone. I, I definitely tried out for it you know, all, all those companies multiple times and just always got denied or just never got a call back. And it's, it can be kind of just a relief to just make sure that you are shipping, you know, approved uh, material and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people are able to communicate because there's people who still, you know, communicate the old fashioned way, which is by postcard. And, yep. Snail mail. Yep. Right. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, very, very true. I mean, it just kind of just, they both just show you all that family dynamic, how it's like, I mean, in season one of Cagney, they show how it's like she and Lazy are just both respect each other, but also need some time away from each other. And it's like, well, I can't bring all that stress home that you emote, you know, <laughs> I got, I got to wow. vent. <laughs> I need some normalcy first you kind of don't know how to channel it. So you just kind of have it at all times. So come, come back to me when, uh, you know. When you've got the dynamic, one's married, you know, with kids and the other's single and that's mm -hmm. totally different. We're in Rizzoli and Isles. They're both single and both kind of dating and, you know, doing that, but they're really close as friends. And it's like, I've actually had a friend that I've been that close to because everyone's like, oh, two females can't be that close without being, yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, and it, if anything, these shows do a good job just kind of punching through just the stereotypes and bullshit that, you know, uh, like, uh, they even, you know, when they come across even someone who's basically, you know, a rape victim or being stalked, they'll, you know, you know they'll always shout down someone who's like, oh, they're asking for it, they're a beautiful person. I'm like, you, you guys, where do you pricks come from? That's not true at all. Yeah, you know? Totally so, a stereotype. Yeah, the, they will always correct someone in the hallway without trying to force a belief on them and just say, okay, you know, well, what if that was your sister you said that about? What if that was your girlfriend, you know, your fiance you're saying that about? Would you say that then? No. Okay. Well, look in the mirror sometime, idiot. <laughs> and I think uh, really that both shows, obviously, they have a good dynamic, but, you know, this was before everything had to be kind of like, you know, 48 hours or lethal weapon where it would just be you know 48 hours i always thought were fun because they're they would show kind of the political incorrectness of society and mix in with just uncommon partners and lethal weapon you know obviously that was the more popular formula but for me that's just kind of just really overstayed its welcome by just focusing too much on the content and not enough on the story and kind of becoming a joke of itself after a while <laughs> and, 
despite them being worth watching at, at least once. But it's like, yeah, they don't hold up. Some of them don't hold up on rewatches because they kind of lose sense of what they are. And it's like, obviously, you can you have better luck with a TV show because you can kind of know when to say to the executives, okay, this is our final year. <laughs> uh, let's let, let's end it here because we've done enough and you know both shows lasted a good while you know like six seasons that that's a great run you know right yeah and, six i think on cagney and lacy and seven on rizzoli and isles so okay my bad but, yeah <laughs> i watched yeah, it all together rizzoli and isles could have kept going i mean they could have done so much more with that but they could have done yeah i mean everything at least deserves a 10-year thing but then there are other ones where it's like yeah no this is only good for three or four years but fortunately they had a lot to work with and it worked for Cagney because I mean it was they were shut short seasons just constantly not sure if they'd be renewed or not having to fight with right. executives and the other show was just always a summer show on TNT and it worked well because I would see it by producer my parts of it after Michael M. Robbins the producers uh, other shows you know the closer major crimes which had a similar kind of appeal and I don't know if you've seen those. Yes, I have. Oh, okay. You know, it's like, uh, and while, you know, that's just covering the LA area, you know, it was interesting seeing the other one just cover the Boston area and just kind of really try and cast actors who had that kind of flair and uh, ac appropriate accents and mannerisms. Um, what's your take also on um, the kinds of, crimes they handle on this like they do a, lot, a mix of serial killers organized crime and hitmen <laughs> well and i like when they they drag the story i don't like when a story ends in your hour block it's like i liked like with hoyt with rizzoli and isles they drug it out so it was actually you know it was covered over several different episodes in several different seasons it wasn't you know just one show and boom it was done and you know on to the next it was stage. a good recurring yeah kind of thing right. yeah and so when you have like a serial killer like that you can you can have more story with it because you can you can tell the story over several episodes where if you just do your traditional 60 minutes which is actually only like 43 when you get down <laughs> to it you've got so much trying to you know you're trying to tell so much of the story but yet you're trying to go for your character development and your, you know, your characters interacting with each other and that, and, and you can't do it all in an hour. Yeah. And so. they do it. They also do a good job of just kind of any storyline that just kind of wasn't going anywhere. Uh, you know, they, they kind of write it out right away. Like right. you don't know if Jane's, you know, any of her dates were going to go anywhere. So the show does a good job of kind of, experimenting and then just one and done okay so <laughs> by this hour this day didn't work out or it was just a fun awkward moment and really what? the only subplot that didn't work for me was that one serial killer who was played by eddie Cebrian of third watch fame is like then they find he reappears like three episodes later and it turns out he's a serial killer who kidnapped her and it's like thank god you guys ended it there that would have gotten too messy <laughs> yeah Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to keep talking. No, no, no. That's fine. It's, I forgot what I was going to say. My cat jumped up in my lap, so okay. I moved the computer. She likes when I'm on uh, calls to come and say hi. <laughs> nice. But, but no, but I yeah. think with Jane and dating, it's like they really, I mean, people hated Casey. 
you know, and with him going away, you know, in the military and all that, some of that to me just wasn't realistic that, you know, I don't know, when he proposed and all that, that kind of pissed me off. That was kind of where it was going And then it would take off and leave. And I'll make- agree with you. That got a little too soap opery is like, okay, you guys can do way better than that as opposed to stoop to that level, you know? It's like, and I mean, I like that actor. He's been good at playing a bad guy in plenty of other movies and shows, but it's like, yeah, I feel like you guys go could kind of wrap this up. Well, and I told my mom, it's like, okay, so he's home on leave in the military. Why has he got his uniform on? (laughs) I mean, if, and maybe it's because of me being, you know, military background and all, but when you get home from work, you take your uniform off. If you're on vacation, do you even have your uniform with you? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know if there wasn't all that much supervision on set for that subplot or if someone just had based it off a character they knew who never took their uniform off, but it could have used a little more fleshing out. Um, And like you say, I mean, it's like they kind of imply that Casey's loyal to the job and yet at the same time, you know, wants a real life and yet at the same time, I don't know if they were just trying to work around the actor's schedule because he was working on so many other things at the same time, but it, it did get old really fast. It's like, eh, okay, you're going for the cliche, will they or won't they? I wish you guys would just, you know, decide and just let this soak in a bit so we can soak it up instead of, well. And the backstory that they went to school together, I mean, there's been a lot of debate. It's like, when did Jane meet him? Was she a freshman? Because he was, you know, in the upper class. And it's like, but yet they made it seem like they graduated at the same time. But then when you look at the reference, he's the big man on campus. Well, you can both be seniors and he can be the big man on campus because, you know, he's on the football team and, you know, all that, (laughs) where where she's just kind of shy and, you know, off to the side. So it it just, there was a lot of uh, uncertainty in, in the backstory. So, yeah, I, I got to hand it because the show does so many things right, but like, especially with Jane's younger brother, I mean, subplots, I mean, those were well handled. I they, thought so. Yeah, Tommy and, was a good character. Right. Mm-hmm. And just showing you as like, hey, want to want to do good. I just wasn't as fortunate or, you know, or mm-hmm. everyone and deserves Frankie a would yeah. follow in his older sister's footsteps, you know. Because younger siblings do that. They follow the older sibling around and want to do what they're doing. And Yeah, and they it knows also how to just kind of play out just the the uh, just the back and forth between everyone without it being misfired gags or just too much. You know, they, they know how to just really make it work to where it's both plausible and like you say, not uh, just okay, this is getting a little too, you know, uncomfortable, you know, because, you know, the siblings do like each other, but they don't give each other shit like you've seen in some real life. And like, that's good. I'm I'm okay with you uh, not overdoing it, not having them just, uh, you know, give each other grief, you know, because siblings do do that. <laughs> they have good days, bad days, but it, it knows how to drag it out without it being just cliche. And Right. It was uh, believable, yeah. I mean, like to say, the Casey storyline, there was like maybe two episodes of that that I think worked for me, and then there were others where it was like, yeah, where is this going, guys? You kind of just sound yourself box. So, fortunately, yeah. 
it doesn't factor too much. It's always like a secondary story, and I think that's the problem. It because it was a secondary story, you know, like any subplot, it wasn't the main focus. They were trying to, you know, figure out all the other main storylines as well as the mystery of the week. And that's kind of my other main issue. Usually on a on all the other shows, the shocking like intro gets you into the show, even if you know something bad's gonna happen to a victim or one of the main characters is like, but it'll overcome predictability by starting atypical or just having a gotcha moment. And that was kind of my other only issue with this show was a lot of the time someone is about to get brutally killed. And it just, I don't know, it just didn't feel like much thought was put into starting off each episode. I was like, you could skip it and you wouldn't miss anything. You're already going to see the crime scene a minute later. <laughs> right. Just a small complaint. I, I, I still dig it. It's just one of those. Is like, well, if you don't want to see that part, you can skip that scene and you can go to the next scene and you're fine. <laughs> well, to me, it was realistic when they brought Jack in. That you know that would really happen. Should go to teach a class and meet somebody like Jack, and you know, be nervous about dating him, Mora. And it's like, yeah, because yeah, it's an interesting predicament because uh, you know when you're in a certain scenario you don't really know how to approach everyone so it was when, interesting. with her shy awkwardness that they kept saying she had in the show it's like yeah she would be shy you know to date him and she would need to go to her best friend and seek counsel and see how to do that so that to me was a very realistic you know type scenario that could happen and I thought they did a good job of portraying that Right. And even when she hints at her family history is like, at first you just figure, okay, they're going somewhere with it. It's like, oh, it, they really are. They're, they're going really somewhere with it in terms of, you know, they are trying to figure out where, uh, you know, her bloodline is, uh, you know, her strained father, her stepdad, and who had like an affair. It's like, stuff that you know is messy stuff that takes a while for any young person to put two and two together and say oh wow <laughs> no wonder i didn't like that person or that family member you know <laughs> but i liked how they tied the arthur her um, adopted father how the holding in that lie that he had that affair was what made her have the difficulty with telling lies and why she broke out in hives and you yeah. know, we got that backstory later in the thing, but we got it. We found out how come she can't lie and how come she breaks out in hives and because she was holding that secret for so long. And he had no idea that she didn't know that the two parents had talked about it and worked it out. I mean, she knew they worked something out because they were still together, but her father never talked to her about it. Her mother never talked to her about it. So she was still keeping the secret all those years. Right. Uh, and it is so funny because Jane will sometimes wonder to tell a white life or is like that, to tell that person I'm not into him. Oh, but I, I can't lie to him. He's a nice person. And Maura, uh, I'm telling you, lie for him. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, I can't lie because I've been surrounded by liars. I hate liars. <laughs> I don't want to be me, a liar. that brings up the whole scenario of things that happen in your life affect who you become. And so to me, it was a good 
and this is probably a lot of my educational psychology classes coming out, but it does a good job of portraying that that event happened when she was like 14 or whatever it was. And it's like here, you know, I think she's 37 when she finds out, you know, gets back with her father and finds out that that's, that's what caused that all that time. She's been not being able to lie and breaking out in hives if she attempts to because of <laughs> that episode way back in her childhood. Oh, so true. And I know they were based on books. I never read them, but I know the author was heavily involved. I know Janet Tamaro was like one of the main showrunners and, um, you know, had previously written for Bones and Sleeper Cell and those, and even SVU. And it's like, that's a good start. Those are all very similar in terms of, and always have psychological elements. And it was interesting too, because I think she later ended up Did I see that right? No, never mind. Uh, uh, she won a Grayson Allen Award for the Alliance of Women in Media Foundation. It's like, well, mm. it's pretty well deserved because, yeah, it's a very, like you say, the show feels like people who are big psychological psychology majors as opposed to, you know, I'm just imitating stuff I've seen on small screen and just doing more of the same. You know, it's like mm. whether researched or not. It's like no. None, none of that is repeat of everything you've seen before because it really does stand out. I also have not read the books. They're sitting on my bookshelf and I can see them right now. But after <laughs> hearing people say so much about how different the TV characters are from the books and you know how lovable <laughs> Mora is on the show, but she's not like that in the books. I don't know if I want to read the books. You're right. Because I like the TV version of Jane and Mora. I like their personalities. And Jane's got that badass detective side, but she's also got that very loving, caring side that she'll do anything for Mora. And people don't yeah. seem to realize that in books, you kind of decide which character you like based on how they come off to you. Mm -hmm. And I've had to, you know, I've gotten so many arguments with people on books versus movies uh, numerous times. And it's just like, well, you don't get it. You decide who you want to follow. It, it uh, Five chapters comes off as just like two scenes in a movie because you only have so much time for everything. Yeah, but I want it this way. And I've had to just say, okay, you got, you don't get it. In a script, you know, one page is one minute's worth of film, regardless of how it comes off in the final cut. Because you got to be able to have stuff that plays and you got to be able to try and make everyone happy, you know, Studio picked always picks people based on, you know, what names they want to invest versus what characters would actually be way better cast mm -hmm. as whatever character. And it, it, it gets very annoying having to explain this to people. It's like, yeah, you, you are not getting this. It's like, the, <laughs> uh, well, look at the Bosch books. Michael Connolly, really good suspense author. You know, Bosch is now a TV show, which he is also the head one of the showrunners on and right. it's like I love this character. oh yeah perfect and we'll definitely do a episode on it in the future but it's like those are good examples of I mean I've read some of those books those are all about the suspense and yeah you get an idea of the characters but it's going to take multiple books before you become attached to them well it's like on a show you don't have that luxury you know cable streaming or not you know it's like you got to be able to just kind of say okay this character is going to go someplace as opposed to, you know, in a book, you generally kind of have just 
inner thoughts and other stuff that really doesn't becomes pretty cliche if you were to have someone just thinking to themselves all the time in a movie it would just <laughs> it would just kind of render the narrative just kind of too restricted because only you know the characters wouldn't connect and only the viewer would know everything that's going on it, it would get very cliche that way it's like well in a movie you got to have characters interacting with each other because if they don't feel like they live and breathe the same air then you've already rendered everything false <laughs> well and i think if people hadn't have told me that the books are so different from the tv show i might have actually went and read the books but now that I know and I love Jane and Moore the way they are, <laughs> it's going to be hard for me to enjoy the books unless I go at it from a totally different spin and look at the books for the writing and, you know, for the character development and all that. Because I oh. did that with another series, a British one called The Commander. I wanted to go back and look at that and read the story after watching the TV show. And it's like, they weren't based on books. It's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't go back and do that because I've been I I watch a lot of the British crime shows also. Nice. <laughs> and it's like they're a different they go into a lot more detail in some of their things than the US television series do. And it's like, okay, very different. So, they always have a very specific, you know, standard and formula, especially with prime suspect, which hmm was kind of held as kind of a loose inspiration for the closer it was like this is kind of interesting because like like you say yeah it's like the the if the characters are so different in the book and you're just getting the vision of the actors you know perfect portrayals like yeah i'm sorry this, the damage has been done and i mean dr drake was just a hysterical kind of british lab technician and uh it kind of becomes more involved with everyone's lives. And then Susie Chang, you know, the criminologist, she was an interesting uh, character and it just got so heartbreaking when, <laughs> you know, they killed her off and she became right. kind of a, like, interconnected, like, two, three-part episode where they're trying to figure out who killed her and why did the, what was the killer's real reason for doing it other than to lure him out. It's like, ah, because <laughs> that actress has also uh, been in a bunch of different, uh, sitcoms that are stuff like The Office. It's like, well, she did really good in that comedic role, so sorry to see her go. <laughs> and she was really good in Rizzoli and Isles. I hated when they killed her off. I mean, I understand what happened to Frost, you know, in real life, the character, you know, committed suicide, and so they had to kill him off, but they didn't have to kill Susie off. You know, yeah. there was the, the good interaction with her and Mora, and then with her and Jane, you know, and it's like, I just thought she was a good character and kind of, I don't know, worked well with both of them, you know, with the detective side of the house and then the, the morgue side of the house, you know, she, she did well. Yeah. Killed her off. It's like, and then, you know, more suspension because of it. Well, it was interesting for more because I mean, you understand why she had to be suspended because now she's kind of learned to embrace life outside of the lab because she doesn't really seem to she seems to struggle with life but right. at the same time i know what you mean where it's like yeah they did, they, they really did it that that character could have been untouched you know 
I don't know if they were just trying to break a formula where anybody is safe because they have some episodes where the lieutenant's targeted by other crooked cops in the division for political power. They have other ones uh, where Barry, you know, I understand why they had to kill Barry off because unfortunately, you know, it's just so tragic. The actor, you know, committed suicide. And they do a good job of the episode. It's like, wow, I haven't seen him for a while. Oh, well, he's been killed in line of duty. And, you know, they come to the crime scene, but it's like, man, you know, that had to be awful to have to insert that and rework everything around. Well, and when they talked to Angie Harmon and Sasha Alexander about that, they said that the, um, the executive producers and that gave them a lot of leeway in how they wanted to deal with it as far as for us, the viewers, you know, and how they wanted to deal with the funeral and all that. And I thought that was pretty good because you are in a, you're a tight knit family when you're filming something like that. I mean, you're working with those people, you know, for 12 to 16 hours a day, you know, Mm -hmm. multiple days in a row, they are your family. You're seeing them more than you're seeing your actual family if you're even seeing your family, because I know Angie Harmon said she didn't see her family sometimes during filming. When she went into work Monday morning till Friday oh, evening, you Oof. know, she was Jane Rizzoli. She wasn't Angie Harmon. So, and it's like, so that would be hard to have to deal with something like that. And, yeah. And I mean, especially when some of the castmates want to hang out after the fact, you know, on the days off is like, Oh, but, my pals who I only see on set, I can't see them anymore. It's like, yeah, it's, uh, I, I can only see them now on screen or just remember the good times. And that's just terrible because very talented actor, you know, who, you know, was kind of left the Disney and Nickelodeon scene and, and, you know, people started seeing him do other recurring dramatic roles like Friday Night Lies and like, well, he can really act really well. And it's like, and it, it just was another one of those where it's just like, his bipolar disorder just uh, it's like he wasn't taking the right medication or something and it's like man (sighs) and and it's another thing where people act like the signs are there it's like no there's plenty of times where you don't see the signs and you can't do anything about it (laughs) no you can't because you're living you're living in that time and and you don't see it and then sometimes when you look back I mean, we've had to deal with that being in the military. I was in the military for 24 years. And it's like, you, you deal with that. I mean, you see the people, but you don't know every single thing that goes on in their life. You know, you see them during the hours that you're together. Maybe you go out for drinks or something later and, you know, but you don't know what's going on. You don't know what emails they've gotten or what phone calls they've gotten or what's going on with their family. And all of that, as we mentioned, you know, with Maura and her father, that goes on for years. And so if you don't know their full backstory, I mean, if you're not with them 24 seven, you will never know what drove them to that point. And they tried to make that come to life when Robin Williams passed away. Very, very big example. And, and I mean, he was just kind of a reminder to many comedians who looked up to him not only as a role model but as a voice in terms of he's like okay you can be a good dramatic actor because in order to be a comedian you have to have dark stuff kind of not necessarily it doesn't have to be tragic tragic but you kind of have to have that sense of you know rejection and uh just not 
just very low points in your life that you end up just kind of making funny and people laugh, you know, either at you or with you and you have to just kind of take it all. <laughs> and, and, and when, I mean, comedians always in general kind of have it rough because all the time producers are just trying to get them on movies that don't necessarily have great scripts. And it's like, well, okay, so I'm, I'm going to be start being mocked because I'm, you know, I got a brand, I got a type of formula and I'm in a movie that's not necessarily showing my skills uh, where they work the best. And like you say, I mean, when uh, behind the scenes can be very, can either be very nice or it can be a little messy. And in this case is like this, you know, both, actors and comedians can be again just wonderful just show up on time and you, you never see a hint of any just turmoil at home or i'm not having a good day i don't feel good it's like well you know in robin's case is like it's like there have been hints that he had like warned certain people and he just was feeling very down and uh, everyone just thought oh you know he says that a lot you know what, what's what's different this time around and you know with this actor you know just virtually no sign he's just hey yeah happy 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 to be acting here and it's like well, mm-hmm. at home it's it's a mess yeah on a lighter note what's your take on vince you know jane's former i partner. liked that character and Chris mcgill has been in everything always being you know a political aide or you know a captain or just another everyday kind of guy and it's just so funny how he just you know he's been in everything you know animal house uh, uh collateral the muhammad ali film with will smith and even uh macgyver of all things so it's like see him in a more reserved kind of poncho but with heart that, that was a lot of fun <laughs> i noticed though in the first season or the first couple of episodes they really made him have an accent and then as the show progressed that accent went away and it's like thank god because it didn't seem natural to me i mean i know people in boston speak a certain way but it just i don't know i guess it just didn't fit him i think it was a mix of that and too often filmmakers will just test something out when they should just really just rehearse more and just say uh yeah no that doesn't work at all and it, should, it shouldn't take the editing room for you to figure that out you know? <laughs> and i thought he was a good role model i mean i'll go back to lindsey boxer in the women's murder club you know her partner jacoby i said was married three times so you come to rizzoli and isles jane's mentor partner is a divorcee been married three times it's like how how unusual that they would mimic each other, the two shows. And it's like, that's, I mean, you wonder sometimes of the writers, if they are using those other shows, you know, in the f- second episode of Murder or the Woman's Murder Club, Boxer makes a comment that has to do with the TV show, Crime Suspect. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Nice. Yeah, everyone has their inspiration and that's the one, but yeah, I do kind of like that kind of paying tribute, you know? Right. And they talk about um, flirting with someone over a dead body in Rizzoli and Isles. You go back to episode four on the Women's Murder Club and Boxer is saying the same thing. A guy comes in and asks her to go out for coffee. 
And she's like, well, are you seriously flirting and asking me out at a murder scene? And it's like, so to me, that was just comical. It's like, because I remember those comments and it's like, wow. <laughs> they really do stand out to you because it's like, yeah, someone well, had some really- And it's Angie really... Harmon both times. It's not <laughs> like it's her other, it's, it's actually her in her role saying it both times in both shows. And it's like, okay. <laughs> so, so they do look at the other shows and the other, you know, the older shows do, I think, um, tend to lead into the newer shows. So I think they do use them as a source of reference, you know, what worked, what didn't work. And, you know, and that's why the dynamic of the two women together worked for Cagney and Lacey. Oh, you know, just like you had the male version, Starsky and Hutch, you know, you had <laughs> Cagney and Lacey, and then later you're going to have, you know, Rizzoli and Isles. And granted, she's not a cop. She's a medical examiner. But still, they're working together and solving the crimes and increasing the, the closure rates, you know, and stuff like that. Because right. it, it is a team. And I found that even in the military, you know, you have your, your core group of people that work well together as a team. Well, I mean, that was kind of, that, that goes pretty much with anything, like, because like you say, I mean, the actor, like, Brian Cranston is kind of doing just kind of counter roles that kind of complement his Breaking Bad and Malcolm in the Middle role, you know, just playing a different kind of concerned dad or person breaking the rules. And, and, and I mean, you even get that with SVU, where, I mean, the people casted were kind of contrary to their, you know, public image that they were known for, like, you know, Ice-T playing, you know, contra controversial rapper and actor you know who becomes a guy who plays a cop on tv and same thing with comedian richard belzer you know he's you know known for being the smart ass who gets into trouble and here he is playing you know mr reserved you know cynical cop <laughs> it's like yeah it's like that's pretty much it it's like everyone has to kind of play a role that's kind of complementing their real life uh persona <laughs> mm -hmm. as well as like you say the role that they've already made immortal on tv is like well What's a ironic version of that role that I can play? What's a uh, enhancement of that role that I can play? Better yet, what's the opposite of that? You know, can this time can I play the bad guy <laughs> or the version of that character who just goes off the rails evil? <laughs> well, and they say Angie Harmon is quite the comedian too, and you know brings a lot of laughter and that into her things. And I wonder how much of Rizzoli and Isles was actually Angie and Sasha, you know, the, the camaraderie that they had, you know, the friendship that they had off the screen, how much of that was brought into the show and they just let it ride, you know, like the friendly touching and all that. I mean, was that actually written in or was that just, you know, um, Sasha was going to walk behind Angie. So she put her hand on her shoulder and, you know, um, Angie reached up and, you know, put her hand on top of her hand and they smiled at each other. As Sasha walked behind <laughs> her. It's like, was that written in or was that just the two of them, you know, just being friends and acknowledging each other? I, Unless you get the actual script, which. Yeah, I can't for the life of me find anything on the behind the scenes, how stuff was filmed. There's so much fanfare and you would pretty much if they did a convention which i'm sure they would i mean they've done i mean angie since then has done some animation voiceovers and i'm sure sasha you know might do a comic con convention for 
whatever show she's doing next. But yeah, it's like you would pretty much, if you got a chance to do a Q&A, you would totally want to ask them. It's like, hey, you know, how much of that, you know, when the characters kind of evolved over time from the scripts versus, you know, you got into character and you just ended up adding this extra, you know, enhancement to the role or... Uh, I don't know if you've characters. read the scripts or if you just, you know, just watch them, but I actually have some of the scripts and I have the very first, the pilot episode, and it is totally <laughs> different than what aired. Oh, I mean, you find- pilot episode, they have a, Jane has an older brother named Mikey. Were, were those on eBay or something? Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. And like, you know, instead of having the younger brother, Tommy, it's, he's an older brother, Mike. And that's like, oh, well, I'm so glad they didn't go with that. And they made Jane, you know, she was 30 <laughs> and they made Maura in her late 30s. Well, you know, that would put them seven to nine years older than each other. Mm-hmm. Where in the show now, or well, the show, they made them where they're similar in age. They probably didn't want to restrict, you know, how uh, the age range, let alone just any other, have to keep track of any additional details. So there's like, okay, they're within similar age to each other. That's why. Mm-hmm. Maura gets along with Jane's mom and Jane does not get along with her mom and this becomes awkward and <laughs> they reconcile over time and Maura is essentially the communicator for both of them. <laughs> right. Because she has that I mean Jane's got that caring side, but Maura in relation to the other Rizzoli's kind of is like the buffer between Jane and her family and just kind of, you know, calms Jane down and, you know, does all, all right. that. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it is also kind of just annoying how scripts are, you know, when I was doing a script writing workshop, I was always told, it's like, okay, and by the way, all the descriptions and everything, those last just one, barely a sentence. You know, it's just that that all comes visually later with how people want to rehearse the scenes or what notes you pass on, you know, (laughs) down to the filmmakers to translate on the film. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, some of that stuff can just make or break, you know, a show, let alone a movie. It's be good to have a little extra detail and sh- just so that the writers have a voice versus just becoming, I mean, they have it good nowadays with, you know, post-internet when some, especially some sci-fi TV writers started uh, communicating with their fans. I mean, now everyone can answer anything, you know, on Twitter. <laughs> And it was fortunately around that time when that was becoming a thing. It's like, yeah, that that is, that is something because it used to be you would just get complained about and you never had the writer never had a voice. <laughs> they couldn't address problems or in interviews unless they were invited to like a TV guide get together. <laughs> well, and it's nice to have the feedback. I know writing myself, someone told me it's like, well, your last chapter didn't have as much detail in it. It's like. Oh, okay. So I went back and I read the last chapter and it's like, they're right. I just, I got into like, you know, what they were saying, but not the background of what was going on. And it's like, I need to pay a little more attention to that. I need to put myself back as the the reader instead of the writer and look at how it's being displayed. Or exactly. Uh, absolutely. Because uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, it also just makes you wonder how many other shows that kind of started out great and went downhill could have been saved by you know, someone uh, you know texting on the screen and someone seeing that tweet and saying oh no we screwed up we better <laughs> we better 
uh, kill that storyline. We better <laughs> rework that. Well, and that's why, I mean, we went, my, my guard unit when I was in South Carolina, my supervisor was actually the military um, counterpart or whatever for Army Wife, the show. Nice, great show and similar. <laughs> and it's like, wow, it's like, I'd like to go to Charleston and, you know, watch them film that. And he's like, I was a little overweight at the time. I had broke my foot and put on like 75 pounds. Oh, dear. Because, you know, he made a very sexist comment that if I was more within my weight standards, he could have put me in as an extra. What a prick. And I looked at him and I just kind of took it with a grain of salt and said, yeah, I do have a weight problem right now. Even but then, then I thought also it's like there are people on active duty that do have weight problems yeah i've seen plenty of generals with a certain weight issue let alone i mean if you're on a base i mean you could easily rework it or rewrite it it's like okay someone's on retired leave or you could be sitting down though too where it's not as noticeable you know Well, especially if you're playing an extra i mean what are the you're not necessarily going to be in the shot, even though you'll get paid for the day. Is like, I've done plenty of extra work, and I got annoyed sometimes on certain shows when they're like, we need this certain ethnicity. I'm like, you're only going to see the back of my face. What does it matter? <laughs> yeah. Should I cut my hair a certain way? I mean, would that work for you? But I mean, I, I tend to pay attention to detail. Like, like I said, with Casey wearing his uniform, it's like, why in the hell did he, excuse me, why in the heck did he have his uniform? Oh, you can curse on here, but yeah, I mean, I I know what you mean, where it's like, you you didn't know where they were going with that storyline, if (laughs) that was part of the character from the get-go, and they just didn't expand it, or, (laughs) or someone could have just said, hey, by the way, that's typically not what happens, you know, the uniform is folded up, because, you know, he is military. You do have a certain modus operandi. <laughs> you well, I mean, there's home. very strict rules. I mean, it used to be, you know, you go to a fast food place and it's like you don't sit there in your battle dress uniform and eat. You get your food to go. Now it's, you know, more laid back. But when I was in, it's like you didn't think about sitting down and eating when you're in that uniform. It's like you had to be in your dress uniform right. in order to sit down and eat because the whole public persona of you. Public and persona and any any rule bending, not good. It you can't you can't just snap out of it and just say, well, just this once. No, you know, there there is no rule breaking, you know. <laughs> um it, and yeah, I, I I do wonder it would be cool to because I don't think there's any DVD commentaries, so it'd be interesting to see what the basis was for making that character behave a certain way. Was he just that distracted by Jane, or was it <laughs> something else going on? <laughs> well, like I said, the the uniform, it's like very few times did they have him in civilian attire. And it's like, no, he should have been in civilian attire almost the entire, every time they saw him, except she did go to the VA center or to the, you know, when he was... um when he had his crutches and he couldn't walk and he was at work. So he should be in his uniform then. <laughs> but some of the other parts, it's like, no, he was on leave. You don't go on in your uniform on leave. Granted, sometimes you do have to travel from your destination to your leave point in uniform. If you're traveling on a military aircraft and that, 
because I know I've done that when I was stationed in Germany and I came home and I had to stay in uniform the whole time because I was traveling on a military aircraft. I was <laughs> like, okay, that's different. But once I got to my destination, the uniform went off. Yeah. I, I don't know why they would flub something like that. Because <laughs> probably they didn't have a military person looking yeah. over that part because it was such a small part of the show it was it's just you like to think that someone somewhere could at least you know just like have a uh just a you know, relative who has that basis and they could at least run it by them and say is that realistic instead of just well it is all just tv i'm like yeah but people stop watching some shows if some stuff just takes it out them out of the whole fictional storyline they've created <laughs> When I think as a human being, we tend to look at things that we're familiar with and we point when that's not right. They wouldn't do that. You know, just like someone said at some of the um, autopsies that Jane and Maura are doing, they would have more stuff. Their hair would be pulled back and covered and because you don't want to contaminate the body. And yeah. So, if Jane walks in there and her hair's down and she's leaning over the body, it's like, you know, you have loose hair, but you know, I'm, I know we're getting off the thing, but no, it's if, fine. If we're attention we're to detail. Yeah. Uh, some, most of the time is like her hair was short and like in a bow, but there were other times where it's like, Hmm, I hope you're not going to CSI territory. Cause I mean, you can enjoy CSI. It's not realistic, but it kind of knows it isn't. It just creates its own comic book type storylines. Like, mm -hmm. but this is supposed to be kind of like closer in law and order. Where it's like, okay, well, not sure what they're doing in that episode. Did someone just not give a note? Hey, technically, you've contaminated the evidence. <laughs> well, and they were really good in the first season. You know, about they showed them actually putting the the booties on their feet and putting the gloves on their hands, which they always had the gloves on their hands. And Jane, a lot of times, had her hair pulled back in that. But when you're in the autopsy, the first season was really good about this show, Jane having the, um, you know, the, the gown on and all that. And it's like, then as the seasons went on, it's like, no, Jane's just standing there. And however she entered, that's how she is. Yeah, saving like, time. Or she'd come in afterwards and is like, well, technically they process the body, but how are we to know that? We don't know how this works. Well, and in real life, would a detective be able to go into the autopsy like that? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, as, as much as Jane did, probably once in a while. And and I'd love to read how the books covered that. So maybe I should go read the books sometime. <laughs> when you're ready, when you've seen the show to death and you're ready to wreck it for yourself. <laughs> That's when, I, when I'm ready to see the reality of how the books were and say, wow, the TV really deviated. <laughs> well, like I said, I love the characters the way they are. You know, I loved Cagney and Lacey the way they were. So I don't know if that's see, I don't even know if that was based on a book series. Not to my knowledge, but I mean, they they definitely did a good job of just kind of just again just making letting the leaving the show alone and letting it just process itself so naturally. And same thing here, you never heard any behind the scenes story. Michael and Robbins was pretty much. The producer was allowed to pretty much run whatever show he wanted at TNT and he gave Janet Tamaro, you know, full power. This was her first time, you know, being a showrunner of a show after being just, you know, a co-writer on other stuff like Bones. And I think Bones was just a good jumping point for her. 
just in that you know she's like she knew how to blend mystery with comedy <laughs> yeah um, I think I'm on the third season in Bones so I'm not a I'm not a Bones expert but I do like the show oh yeah I've seen it all throughout the years and I've been slowly going through it from the get-go myself and like like you state um I mean definitely in the first season uh uh of uh, Resilient Isles you even gotta just that kind of like the Criminal Minds cast that they at least had some supervisor showing them how to hold the guns and literally be strategic especially with the multiple kidnappings they defuse and especially when you know the crooked cops and thugs get out at the uh gel of the precinct in the first season you know on that cliffhanger you <laughs> know it's like they did a good job of just kind of showcasing there how it's like okay uh, uh the gu- the gunplay sounds at least almost as realistic as movies like heat so <laughs> uh mm-hmm. everyone's reacting a similar way because you know i have actually been near an actual explosion like on reality shows and it's like it does always piss me off when i see you know people just walking away or getting right back up is like no you you're unconscious you're gonna probably lose your vision or be you know <laughs> get some trauma on your head your from ears are gonna ring and yeah on. it's like they'll get the ringing right but they'll still have someone get up right away I'm like uh no you're down for the rest of the day <laughs> as much fun as we can have i mean yeah there's some people i'll i'll take with a grain of salt if it's a war movie but there's other stuff where it's like eh, yeah no <laughs> there's no way that person can hold two guns or <laughs> just even have the stamina to keep running <laughs> and i mean you're gonna have to suspend reality on any work of fiction but there are some some of them that just make you wonder uh really <laughs> what, what i had this to... oh go ahead uh, what made you think that was a good idea but yeah go ahead <laughs> No, I was just going to say, so on the, the last episode of Rizzoli and Isles on the first season when Jane shot herself, I had to actually watch the scene several times. And did she really get the angle, you know, right? Probably so when not. you later see where her wounds are, it's like, is that possible? And could that really, you know, could the bullet really do that and kill him? Well, I, I had a problem with that because I don't think it would have traveled through her body like that and have enough force yeah they they never seem to get bullets and using people as human shields right on shows like that and that one not only does that technically not work i don't think but um it's kind of ruined because they play around in the editing room and make it be in slow motion so it looks even less convincing in terms of the details so it's like yeah i understand where you guys were going with the storyline but i'm sure someone didn't get the continuity right or that it just couldn't work to begin with so suspend reality on that one (laughs) and then i think to myself it's like well i don't know enough about bullets and the type of gun that was being used you know to shoot the bullet it might have been a powerful enough because you know all all the guns are different and each glock has its different things and i'm sure it was a glock being used but I'm sure she would have still been severely injured, though, technically, for at least a season. <laughs> so, yeah. And they I, could have done so much. They gapped that, you know, from the, the end of season one to the beginning of season two. Three months went by, and there was so much story, backstory in that, that they could have done. But I guess because there wasn't a crime, per se, involved in that, 
there was, but they just kind of wrapped things up really quick and went to the awards. Yeah, I think they... Oh, wait a minute. You could have done several episodes of that and, you know, because you have the whole Marino story and... Yeah, they they could have at least shown just like, you know, because at first they did have a lot going. Yeah, Vince is just totally hates this lieutenant. He does not trust him. He thinks he's just as bad as all the other questionable cops. And and then they just toss that out. You're like, yeah, we get along. And like, well, okay. So he's clearly not a suspect. He's clearly a good guy. And he's dating Jane's mom. So that's getting even more awkward. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like, then they just are instantly awarding her. And it's like, I mean, I guess that works by diehard for logic. I know. I just remember National Geographic doing specials on fact versus fiction. And they did one on, you know, can John McClane actually, you know, shoot himself through the shoulder and kill the bad guy. And it's like, uh, Absolutely not. <laughs> All he did was shoot his shoulder and probably fracture his entire career. But, you know, works for a deliberately over-the-top movie. doesn't necessarily work for a real-life thing. And so I guess, I don't know. I don't know if they realized that was so unrealistic and they just wanted to write over that. Because that's kind of what a lot of writers do. Whatever they find less interesting, they just try and just alleviate. and Or... If I don't know, maybe they. I am just speculating here. Maybe they could. Oh. Maybe they figured. We we just can't see anywhere where this story actually works and is interesting and becomes well as me if Jane is just you know, in a cane and just walking around the whole season. It's just not going to work. So, <laughs> for our kind of show, so maybe they just decided, yeah, let's just award her because no other show really starts that way. To be fair, where someone gets injured and they award them usually they're just in a hospital bed for three episodes and then go back to the line of duty so i guess they just wanted to show here's how far she's come and here's uh she's just that badass (laughs) when we never got to see her in a hospital bed yeah (laughs) she's too good for the hospital (laughs) right they went off in the we didn't even see her get into the ambulance did we <laughs> yeah, I, I sure as hell did it. Yeah, I just saw more uh, Jane go or Mora go. No, Jane. <laughs> right, and it just kind of ended there. And then three months later, Mora's at her apartment trying to get her up off the couch to go to the awards thing. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, the parents got divorced during that time. There was the two kids in the hospital, and but then that's me liking the characters and not so much the crime. But you still, I mean, someone could have been over Marino that Marino was working for. So they could have drugged that story out a couple more episodes and, you know, gave us some of that Jane being in the hospital and having to have multiple surgeries and, you know, what happened with Frankie. and Yeah, uh, all the stuff yeah. that does happen, like when they're going with Maura's adapted mom, you know, played by Jacqueline Bazette and even Dean, the FBI agent who's dates Jane and then they just kind of don't had that storyline out i mean it seems like everything they just tested and if they got enough of a reaction they revisited it and it's like it seemed like the one that was getting the most reaction was patty you know her hitman father <laughs> yep, <laughs> she tries... yeah and the mom that played excellently by sharon lords uh, that that storyline was really rewarding uh what's your take on the stalker alice sands role where she was like a police academy dropout and had been a high school pal and she just kind of had always been unstable and just kind of wanted to be like jane (laughs) just basically now i like that because that story actually did 
drag out over episodes. Just like the Hoyt serial killer. He was like, right. He was already played excellently by Michael Massey, and here she, uh, Sands was played by Annabeth Gesh of West Wing and X-Files fame. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I totally buy that persona because she can play those kinds of characters and seem normal but are anything but. <laughs> But I mean, I thought they did a pretty good job of that. I mean, was the storyline realistic? Oh, maybe not so much. Some of it, yes, and some of it, no. But she could, I guess, have those underground connections, you know, with all the, the people that lived in the sewers and that. And, you know, they could have all that mapped out. But would she have that if she was working in Canada? Or was she working in Canada? You know, it's just, there was a lot of unanswered questions yeah storyline that had we known more details i mean where had she been all that time yes she had these businesses but she wasn't living in the underground you know all that time so would she have formed those relationships yeah have all those kids following her like that a little backstory would have been better on that um i mean the crime ring is definitely what makes it stand out and like you say i mean it would have it could have it, it definitely took a while and it did make you wonder, has she been doing this ever since she's dropped out of the Academy or are they just a plot hole there and they're just paying too much detail to who killed who and who kidnapped who? <laughs> right. um, I will admit, I do think Jane, I mean, the show leaves you wondering if she, you know, killed just in line of duty or act of vengeance. But uh, me and my mother did have a problem with that, how, you know, she's holding him, you know, uh, you know, the teenager hostage and, you know, Jane just finally just bursts in, just puts her total career on the line. It's like, yeah, I think realistically they would have kidnapped her and or they would have arrested her and she would have probably gone away or something because of lack of evidence or just given how real life justice works. It's just, I, I don't think she would have just gone in guns blazing. It works for a show, but then you gotta gotta have some kind of review, like, hey, you're you're on temporary, you know, paid leave or something mm -hmm. like that. Instead, they're just like, nope, killed her. She's a psycho. <laughs> like, well, there's still a process to how this all works. If typically, if you're somehow related to someone in, who's committing a crime, they typically don't let you get involved with the case. <laughs> you know, so felt like that was a little suspension of disbelief. Is like, okay, there is a mo modus operandi to how law enforcement works guys i think realistically vince and frankie would go in and and sands would probably start you know d given her stalker background would have said oh i know you're related to jay you know <laughs> and try and take advantage of that and then you know obviously they could go and blaze it with a swat team but <laughs> i don't think jane would risk putting all that and be questioned later but they don't even kind of talk about it afterwards they're just like yeah, she's dead. <laughs> There's no investigation afterwards or talk right. about it, about how this messy affair even happened to begin with. It's like, well, you saved a teenager. That's good enough for us. <laughs> I mean, Jane's character at that time was so traumatized by Alice Sands that she she shouldn't even have been on the case. No, they, they don't let any. I mean, it doesn't take much for detectives to profile each other and say, uh, you know, no, don't take it personally. I just know you're related to this case, so you're off of it. <laughs> Which is what they did with Hoyt. You know, they took her off, and then Jane tried pleading with them, you know, to, to let her do the Hoyt thing. And when we were talking about uh, um, Korzak earlier, I wanted to mention how it always came off that Jane was always in charge, even though 
Korzak was the sergeant and over her, it's like Jane always took the lead. And I know sometimes she might've been the lead detective on the case and that would be her role, but it seemed like she did it all the time. You know, well, let's do this. And, you know, yeah. And, and they, they just of, ruled with it. And they kind of imply that is like, he's kind of, yeah, he's promoted a sergeant and then it became a lieutenant by season five. But yeah, it's like, because he's technically the partner, he's like, well, I'm presiding. Just don't, I'll, I'll let you carry it. Just don't go out of bounds. <laughs> but yeah, they kind of keep it brief at first because they're like, you didn't know if the writers needed to read up on police uh, ranks or what, but it's like, hey, it is what it is. <laughs> yep, she was the lead detective. Boom. It's like, well, she wasn't the lead detective every single time. So it's <laughs> like, I mean, if you want to get technical, I don't know if you've looked up the role of the chief medical examiner in the state of Massachusetts, but <laughs> I'm sure there's protocol to that too. It's like, yeah, isn't doesn't Mora have to have like some other person presiding over her? Like, aren't there supposed to be two medics in the room at once? Or <laughs> well, she wouldn't have been doing everything that she's doing because That's the chief medical examiner is the administrator. Yeah, there you go. She's, I mean, if you go back to Crossing Jordan, you know how mm -hmm. um, also in Boston, <laughs> right? Which was kind of weird. That's also Boston, but she was the medical examiner. Jordan was, but she had a boss right there. So who was the boss? The boss was probably the chief medical examiner who had to do all the paperwork and do all the stuff. And that is, Mora was the chief medical examiner. She wasn't simply the medical examiner. You yeah. know, you have the regional medical examiners throughout the state of Massachusetts, and they all report to the office of the chief medical examiner. So when you read, because I think I told you I do fan fiction writing. Mm -hmm. and so when I get into my stories, it's like I research. It's like, okay, what is the role of the chief medical examiner? It's like, holy shit, they got that wrong, like by a lot. They should have just called her a medical examiner, you know, that she was assigned <laughs> to that area and then she would be doing what she was doing. But as the chief medical examiner, I mean, I looked up the stats, I think it was for 2019, she only did 10 autopsies. <laughs> Yeah, probably would have done more than that. And like the you whole say, year. like you but, say, they kind of get away with it, but it is a lot to have to kind of believe because it's like, yeah, I get that writers will only just kind of focus on five characters, which is basically it, you know, Vince and uh, Frankie, Jane and Laura. And at that time, also <clears throat> uh, Barry. So it's like, but at the same time, it's like, that is a lot of paperwork. That's not and they kind of get away with it because it's like she doesn't really have much of a life she just kind of does her own you know scientific stuff that she wants to do and you know uh but and gives jane stuff that suggests stuff for jane to do from afar but it's like yeah if you're in charge of it all you really aren't having much of a life so i don't know how you're keeping all this together so. <laughs> yep and she would have been more would have been giving more stuff to susie to do that you actually see more in the lab you know, actually running some of the tests and it's like, okay, we'll go back to, she's a medical examiner. And so what I tried to do to make it more realistic in my fanfic was I said that she's the medical examiner for the Boston police department for right there. Yeah. And, as a, as a whole. <laughs> yeah. And the chief 
medical examiner and that they're understaffed and they need to find more medical examiners. So in the meantime, she's functioning as the medical examiner as well as the chief medical examiner. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so, and had they did that in the series, it would have been, you know, more convincing for someone like me who actually goes out and looks up what these people's job descriptions are. <laughs> I think the detective wise, you know, they did it, they did it good. You had a team of two. So you had Frost and Jane, and then they worked with Korzak, their sergeant. And when you look up the Boston Police Department and you look up the different divisions, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. You have two or three detectives working underneath the sergeant. And then you have like six to eight teams you know, depending, and you have your night teams and your day teams and, you know, all that. So they did good with that. And Angie Harmon says that she actually went to the Boston, you know, police department and actually worked with them. And so, you know, I don't know how much the writers or any of that research, all that, but, um, and I don't know if they let Angie have any feedback in any of that. I've seen some other shows where the artists, the artists, the actors get feedback you know, on their character and how, and the people that are writing the show actually listen to them and incorporate it and change it up a bit, you know, to go with the realism of the situation. Totally. So I don't know if Angie <laughs> got to actually do that. I mean, she said she did the research so she could do the role, but I don't know if she got a voice in how the role was portrayed once she got there. So that would have been interesting to read about that, but I never saw, you never see the the other side of that you hear angie talk about she did that but did anybody use what she learned to help her build the character or does she just have <laughs> to portray the character as it was written and that's it yeah i give them notes afterwards like i mean actors do have a say in that you know producers will take seriously like don't invite that director back he was you know focusing mm -hmm. on just needless you know just random stylish shots and not telling the story or arguing over what the characters do you know which we and we know the character you know don't tell an actor they don't know the character like they've been on the show for years so you know right. uh, and writers do often write you know start writing when they got the character's voice in their head but yeah it doesn't make you want it's like well what was their say because wasn't she an executive producer later on or yeah they both did they both um, did a show Okay, and so he got to do the 100th episode, and I think Sasha did the, the last episode and maybe a few of the last episodes. Okay, yeah, so they definitely had some say if they're executive producers. So yeah, like I can say this about the character and flesh that out, add that note. <laughs> I get to but you're talking the 100th episode. There were only 105 episodes. So, I mean, they're not getting that say until the very end. Oh, okay. Oh, well. Shit. so it's not like they got to do it like on episode 10 or whatever and you know so maybe that was just it maybe they were just cool with whatever and they're like hey can i just have a say on one episode <laughs> i mean i know some shows you know where they where the executive producers actually sat down with the actors and said you know what do you think about this what's what's your feedback and you know how can we improve that and they actually felt like they had some ownership in their character and they've, you know, they could go to that producer and say, hey, you know, I think we should do this instead of this. And then they think about it and they actually do that. And it's like, that's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I'm not in the acting career field at all. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know how all this works. It, but. And I mean, it varies by set to set, you know, what, 
and that's sometimes when you get kind of some problems like behind the scenes creatively where people are used to doing it this way on some set versus that one so that's why you have some people storming off because you're like okay so i don't get this level of I don't get to share my two cents on this show versus this other show. <laughs> and I guess if I ever finish my book and it gets picked up to be a movie or a TV, then then I'll learn more. But hey, kid, wow. keep picking writers' brains on Twitter. They're looking for new people to add to their staff. <laughs> it's the fun of being retired. I can pretty much do what I want. And exactly. <laughs> research all day long. And And I mean, they're looking for fans just like themselves who, you know, <laughs> know the characters inside and out um if they ever do a reunion maybe you could write because <laughs> um, i know I, I really was surprised that they didn't do one because it seemed like every other show or movie crew was doing some zoom get-togethers and reunions when covid first hit just to kind of you know <laughs> kill some time and have fun <laughs> i would like to see them reboot the show bring it back, you know, 10 uh, years later or whatever. And what would it look like? Because it seems like <laughs> they did it now. I guess you could, you know, Jane's working for the FBI now and Maura, did Maura or retire? I mean, you could really, you could pick it up. They go to Paris for 30 days and it's like, what happens? I mean, I don't know if you ever read any of the fan fiction. There's some great stories out I, there. But, I didn't see know. any of the ones you forwarded to me yet, but I used to read some back in the day. But yeah, um, I mean, there's some great stories about what what could happen. They could go on vacation for 30 days and you know come back and decide, hey, we really we don't want to change this. We can still be us and be our dynamic, even though Vince is retired and you know Susie's no longer with us and Barry's no longer with us. They're there's still you and I, and we can still with Frankie and you know yeah. some of the other new detectives. We can pick up and still make the Boston. Yeah, reali time. realistically, yeah, Vince is totally living a happy life in with Kiki. <laughs> Running the dirty robber. Yep. There you go, and that was an interesting storyline to just see them get involved with that restaurant that Jane's mom was a part of, let alone how Kiki had to come to understanding. He's like, I'm not just marrying anyone. I'm marrying someone who's been married three times and who is a cop. So I accept this responsibility, let alone this dangerous lifestyle. <laughs> well, and she's marrying into that cop family too. Yeah. Because Vince is part of a, you know, very serious family that's been together for a while. Yeah, he's a Vietnam veteran too. So yeah, he's like, right. he has lots of respect points and street cred. And he's like, well, okay. I, One, I know we did it a good job of depicting that too that you know you're not just in this by yourself it's not a nine to five job i mean you're you're together you know and you're you're working and it's so funny how they showed her wedding being crashed is like because it made the story it didn't feel like the storylines you know weren't actually connected to each other it's like no it all connects to one another you know it's connected to alice sands and all those other awful criminals that are you know taunting the detectives <laughs> it's like yeah so this wedding is already kind of going to shit, even though a lot of people are putting some serious effort to it. And it's like, well, and that's the final nail in the coffin. So it's like, yeah, no, not going to let this get in the way. Still going to get married, but you guys better yes, solve this crisis. As Jane runs off down the street barefoot with, she didn't have a gun, I don't think either. She didn't, <laughs> she didn't have her gun on her. I just kind of complimented her tomboy attitudes. It's like, I'll go anywhere, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> Thank for more. What do you think of the show, how it's kind of been regarded as a 
pretty highly by the LGBTQ community, even though that her character is, you know, that close. It's just kind of just shows you how every show kind of takes on its own identity. It's kind of become big in that community because of just what camaraderie both characters have to one another. <laughs> so as I said, I'm I'm writing a book. So I started researching and that's how I got back into Rosolian Isles. And as I was doing my reading up on Rosolian Isles, because I was looking for the cop and who she has the um, work associations with. And then I had, well, medical examiner is like, let's take a look at that. Let me look at Rosolian Isles again. <laughs> and I had heard that from the LGTB community that they thought that, you know, the characters were gay and it was queer baiting and all that. And I thought about it and it's like, whoa, what, what are you talking about? So I started <laughs> watching it again with that in mind. It's like, are they, and the more I watched it, it's like, they are really friendly. But then I thought about my friendship with my women friends. And it's like, no, we're that. They're just close. <laughs> and I'm not a lesbian. And I have, I sleep in the same bed with my best friend when we go, we were working with a youth group and would go to a convention and that. And it's like, we would have to share a bed and there was no. I mean, there's a reason they keep lockers separate. I mean, guys get along with guys, girls get along with girls. You know, it's just like gym class. So it's like, yeah, I, I, I never got any of that from the show. I just was like, yeah, they're just, they're just sisters from other mothers. That's, that's but when are. I went back looking at it, <laughs> I could see where it could get picked up that way. Especially early on when no one knew where the show was going to go. It was like, yeah, you know, Laura's pretty playful and Jane is really tight and very tough, you know. <laughs> they're opposites, but yet they're very compatible. They could easily become either of those stereotypes because they kind of got some of those traits. So it's like, yeah, it, you run the risk of having any kind of interpretation when you take on any kind of role. And it's like, well, that's part of acting, guys. You interpret stuff. <laughs> but, but like I said, I can see it. And I, I am straight, but after reading what I read and then going and watching the show and then trying to look at it from that perspective, yeah, I could see how they could feel that way about the show, that they they could have been a couple. And especially with them showing all their failed relationships, you know, and that's why in one of my stories, I well, in all of my stories, actually, Jane and Maura end up together because now I, I got on that train and it's like, yeah. <laughs> nice. It's Very like, I mean, it, they, if they ever reboot the show, you know, it won't happen that way. They'll more, more will get married and have kids and, you know, Jane will still be her best friend. And, but people would still take them that way. Even I, the, the community I, would still love to have the show come back, even if they come back still as straight best friends. Oh, totally. And you would like to see them kind of get some kind of happiness. And I mean, in the final episode, it was good that they kind of did just a fun, quick clip show. And they did it. They picked some really good clips and highlights, I thought, instead of mm -hmm. just, well, you know, because other shows that have done clip shows, often they just kind of would just pace it out very generically. It was like, okay, I've already seen that. This isn't even entertaining anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is the way they did the clips. It's like, okay, I that's a good way of remembering that key point in the show arc or yeah, that was a funny scene. That's fun, Bob. You included that in there. 
And so you can picture Jane going off to the FBA, FBI Academy, though, because they did a show where she went and did a guest time there. And so you can actually picture her going off and doing that. But then that brings you to another show that the person did that. <laughs> with Kate Beckett. There you go. And my, maybe that was their, you know, I kind of got that just on the closer when one of the wacky detectives was putting up a pineapple and I was like, maybe they're making a reference to Psych, which was on at the same time. So yeah, those were on around the same time as Castle. So maybe that was the, maybe the writers were a fan of Kate Beckett. And they're like, yeah, uh, we want Jane to be like Kate Beckett if we ever do a spinoff <laughs> with another show. <laughs> well, and that was a whole nother article I read too. Which one's the better cop? Olivia Benson or Jane Rizzoli? And it's like, ooh, those are my two favorites. Apples and oranges. I, I, I mean, I like how Benson is now like a captain, you know, on, on SVU. But she, I mean, I could see her having her and Jane having a good respect for each other. But I mean, you can't compare the two. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I could see them working together though. Totally, it'd be awesome, especially seeing. <laughs> as close as you get is Andy Harmon as <laughs> her character on Law and Order SVU yeah. the first season but yeah that's it um, that would have been a cool crossover um, what's the other one I'm, I I can see if they brought it back I just hope they wouldn't do the billionth uh, take in man on fire knockoff I would hate for more to be kidnapped in Paris and Jane go on a you know, one man army pursuit, that would just be stupid. I, I would hope that she would be just like an established FBI trainer or something like that, you know, just some high ranking official doesn't necessarily do anything besides just simple office work and get results from afar. You know, she should be the person who's just on a view screen seeing a field ops team do a takedown. She doesn't have to be in the field anymore. <laughs> yeah. But see, Castle did that, Paris kidnapping thing with Castle's oh, daughter I, getting kidnapped. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> it seemed like it was all the rage at the time. Everyone had to get kidnapped in Europe. I'm like, it's not well, that's, As I sit here and I look at these different shows and what they've done, it's like, yeah, okay. That's why I started writing things down of what I'm seeing in the different shows. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> they did that. But Rizzoli and Isles never promoted Jane. So in seven years, you know, for the show to run, but I do think they did have her take the exam. I thought she took the sergeant's she, exam. She definitely took it. Yeah. I, I do recall her taking the sergeant exam, and I just don't know if they weren't sure where to proceed at that point, because, yeah, Corsac, he was successful, so I guess they just said. Right, hey, and Corsac yeah. was retiring, so they left it. I mean, this is how I remember it, is that Jane took the test, and then she decided to go to the FBI. But if they were ever going to bring it back, they could bring it back that Jane took the test, passed the test, you know, should have to do all her requalifying with the gun and all that and get accepted back to BPD. And then boom, she's a sergeant working homicide. And then it'd be cool to see her promoted up to lieutenant. Because with her mindset and the way she pieces things together and does things, she'd be great at running several teams, you know, with, with the different homicides. Oh, but yeah. then you think about how many homicides actually happen in Boston in a year. And it's like when you look up the statistics, I mean, some years, you know, they have 40-something, some they have 50, 60, 70. 
So it's not like you're going to have a homicide, you know, every week. <laughs> yeah. And when you look at how many homicide teams you have, and of course the homicide's not solved in a 45 minute period. <laughs> it takes sometimes weeks, months, and sometimes they go unsolved. You know, they become cold cases. Right. And they're, they're still solving those when you look at statistics. I can't say that word. Statistics. <laughs> you know, they're still working on the cold cases in between when they don't have an active case. And they actually have a whole cold case division, which is a whole nother show, which I watch too and love. Yeah, it's also on Star TV often before reruns of that. So yeah, it is a kind of cool parallel. Um, and I think, if anything, I think uh, Cold Case is a good example on how a case can stand on its own. And Russian Jordan, Rizzoli, and even The Closer were a good example of how you can have something for everybody. You can do stand load cases while still doing, you know, serialized storytelling. <laughs> and, and, you know, characters that everyone relates to all the guys are watching it just as much as girls and vice versa and uh, uh there's such intelligent conversation you know it's like the yeah. you know i get turned off in fiction when i feel like a character i'm i've been following isn't affected at anything you know throughout the storyline or if it's just repetitive as hell and it doesn't work too well. I'm trying to think, they didn't ever show Jane not solving a case, did they? I'm trying to remember. And they, they would often just kind of, it was shared. Like, she would either start it or she'd end it. Like, Barry and Vince would get the evidence for her and she'd go in and, you know, take down the ser serial bomber or serial killer. But I don't think they ever had a case go cold. And I guess that wouldn't be good tv to do that because you have no closure but yeah. it would have been realistic they did it with the closer a few different times and it was often just they would but they would at least hint at it like this this person was you know this case was dead before we even got it you know like this body's been at the bottom of this pool this whole time or <laughs> that uh, this person was a walking train wreck but like you say is like you can't do that every episode. You got to have like either like a two, a very explosive two-parter is like, okay, I've taken this dangerous person down. Now I'm going to see them in court, <laughs> stare at them while they're, this hack lawyer presides in front of the jury trying to tell them this case is baseless. You know? But they, they could have had them bring a cold case up. Oh, they totally could have. And I mean, yeah. like any show that definitely got stuff that's inspired by headlines or common cases like rap artists killing their producer or uh uh like especially guffawed at the earlier episode where they're at the boston marathon because that you know it just established that the show is just so boston and to differentiate itself from over the top movies like the departed and anything else is like hey yeah let's gonna have a crime case and you know we're doing a common boston heritage kind of thing but you know we're, we gotta basically forfeit our time in the race and we gotta we can't cancel the race there's too many politics involved so it's like let's just solve this case because clearly someone wanted to win this race so bad it's got one of the culprits has to be one of the runners so let's figure out which jogger could have stabbed someone else here <laughs> it's such a nutty case and yet 
so carefully planned, so intense because, you know, it's so atypical. <laughs> well, and it makes it where it could seem like it could be realistic. Once you figure yeah. out certain things, it's like, yeah, the logistics of shutting down the race. Couldn't I mean, happen, yeah. Yeah. And, and you would totally lose any sense of believability if you did it like that. It's like, yeah, no, that would be like if you were, if some one got a heart attack who was supposed to perform at a Super Bowl event and then you just said we got to cancel it like uh nope <laughs> you are not going to give refunds to all those sponsors and all those people who want to show support. must go on the show must go on and exit stage right if you can't make it but show must go on and it's just so funny and it it makes sense there have been you know Tanya Harding type you know athletes who have decided to make things personal and you know be ego-headed dicks or even lead to murder so it's like yeah i can totally see something like that happening i can see someone deciding to be a bad sport who believes they're the best but believes they won't naturally win so they decide to shank <laughs> a participant it's like yeah people are crazy <laughs> so i have a question for you what did you think about the whole thing of uh jane's mom moving into the guest house with Mora? instant comedy gold we've all had roommates that we do or don't get along with and rupture feathers and you know i've lived with different family and everyone's had a sense of you know i get the this guest bed this time or i get the bunk bed and it's just so funny how the arson storyline of you know it doesn't mean anything at first and i like how that became its own recurring mystery is like oh no someone did actually have it out you know was that Alice Sands or was that someone else? I can't remember. No, because that was part of the Alice Sands. Okay, so I, but I love that because it didn't become apparent at first. It just seemed like it was a crazy guy. And then they led it back to Alice. And it's like that that was dynamite. That all came together and that blew my mind. And I'm like, but like you say, it's just so hysterical. Now. It was like Maura's like, and Jane's mom are just totally getting along. And Jane is like, I, why would you do that <laughs> i don't what don't you get i need my space i don't want her telling me you work too hard you don't eat enough i don't i i, I don't want that every day i need some space and it just shows you it's like i mean i we all have our moments where it's like okay well so-and-so needs a timeout or so-and-so just you know talk to them at six o'clock they just they need that alone time and at the same time is like it's just so funny how they kind of go back and forth is like uh when the other brothers they don't know you know and when they're telling the youngest to start being a man and start you know whether this is your baby or not you know you're with this girl more so you should be a supportive father and you know <laughs> uh i also liked how frankie had to just kind of figure out you know it's like what he wanted to do pursue in life is like okay now i got my my sister and i got each other's backs i can have some fun too i don't have to ask permission you know i can actually have a life too <laughs> yeah i liked when they they put him and nina together but i think all that kind of happened kind of fast too yeah at, at first it seems fun and then it seemed like it was kind of a rushed gag and it's like okay well what's going on here guys <laughs> yeah, looking through the telescope and it's like will you marry me it's like whoa wait a minute it's kind of kind of fast there yeah i mean don't get me wrong love is a dangerous thing but that that was a little 
a bit hackneyed near the end. It's like, yeah, that, that needs some serious fleshing out before it deserved that kind of send-off. It's like, I don't know if the writers were second-guessing what their audience was or how to write that scene, but yeah, it's like, eh. So it, any, any shortcomings it has, though, are just easily outdone by the positives. It out. Oh, yeah. It never becomes formulaic. It always has something fresh and new. It's always energetic, which is better than nothing at all because I hate, don't you hate it when a show just kind of just grinds to a very awkward halt and then just never gets that momentum back? Right. It never, it never had moments like that. It never had moments where I'm like, I so want to skip this episode. I fucking hate it. You know, it never had moments like that. It well, never... and I still watch it. I mean, I've yeah. watched the whole series through multiple times, and you know, it's on my Apple TV. I can watch it whenever I want. So. Yeah, because that's the beauty of HBO Max. When and when that announced, I did light up. I'm like, guys, you don't realize that they're not just taking anything from that channel. They're taking anything from the Warner Brothers, you know, TNT vault. So it includes that closer. Yeah. Uh, I'll definitely watch these multiple times. I'll, you know, give it 10 years. I'll watch it again. Uh, I mean, I always try and, you know, I'm already catching up on numerous other shows to begin with, but yeah, it's like these shows, they definitely have a huge audience and it's just a matter of who you talk to. I'm sure from what forums I vaguely recall watching, it seemed like fans of the book were cool with the show. They just really dug how it seemed like they had the style. They just kind of, their license was with how they portrayed the characters. And it's like, well, so the character might be different, but the cast is dynamite. So it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It's not like a Tom Cruise who looks nothing at all like Jack Reacher and where the movies, instead of becoming a fun fugitive, if you read the books, they're definitely something like what you would see on an episode of 24 or something. Mm -hmm. And even a Tom Clancy novel, just dynamite reading can't no holds barred suspense. Like I was even picking my sister up from college one day and I just went to the library and I read one of those Jack Reacher books. And I was just like, uh, can, I, can you stall yourself in class one more hour so I can finish this book? Finish the book. <laughs> but yeah. It was like, you watch the movies. It's like, okay ho-hum they're okay they're not must see they're just tom cruise doing mission impossible but without the mission impossible brand <laughs> you know, you know so. what i would have liked to have seen sasha alexander do patricia cromwell is working on scarpetta oh they were casting that and she asked on i don't know if it was instagram or facebook who would you like to see play hey scarpetta <laughs> and I, of course, said Sasha Anderson. I mean, Alexander, she would be perfect for it. And she's right. been a medical examiner. And when all. you're dealing with an examiner, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'd be perfect for her. And you could picture her moving into that role. And, you know, it's just, but they cast Jamie Lee Curtis. I was like, okay. It's I mean, I like Jamie Lee Curtis, don't get me wrong, but I think Sasha... Alexander would have been perfect for that. Yeah, that is what I have liked about Twitter, where you see them actually kind of pick their fans' brains, but then there are, are other ones where it's like, wait, what? Where did that you know casting come from? Or did it even matter to begin with? Was the producer? Well, I think say, it was already cast before they asked us because <sighs> the announcement was made, you know, not that far later. Yeah, so they're just trying to get some clicks versus actually caring about the question. <laughs> 
we're just trying to get it out there that hey, Scarpetta is actually going to come to life. You know, <sighs> that's annoying. <laughs> you don't like it? Well, I I, li I like the casting and all. I just hate the whole kind of asking a question that really doesn't actually matter. Oh. I think that I think that's a waste of social media. I, I like it when there's legit questions and. Well, I mean, it might have been legit. It just seemed like the announcement of the casting was. Okay, well, that's far. fair. I could be wrong, too. Maybe she did legit care, and the investor or producers had other ideas, and they didn't coincide. And, like, and they may have tossed some of those popular ones up. I know a lot of people clicked like on mine, you know, so there's a lot of Sasha fans out there that, oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Put her as K Scarpetta. Because, I mean, they can go, you know, a lot of places with Scarpetta. There's well, so many books. And truth be told, I think a lot of people, my late grandmother uh, was always in their crime mystery and shows, and she never saw that show. I think it, yeah, it was before. It was coming out right as she was unfortunately passing away, but she liked the closer and everything. But yeah, if you were to show these faces in front of her, she instantly like, like recognized them. Like she saw Angie Harmon on a hysterical episode as a villain of the week on Chuck, and she's like, I know that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, she was on Law and Order and Women's Murder Club. <laughs> And I know if I brought up Kate, she'd be like, oh, Kate, like on NCIS, Kate? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, unless you mean Beckett, but yeah. It's like, it's like it, she would totally recognize both those names. So I think that was also kind of the winning formula. Is like they were both pretty underrated names who were had already kind of done, they had already broken through. And so it's just next stage of your career is like by this time, both these these actors, actresses are immortal. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like Sasha is always kind of guest starring on a bunch of other shows and independent films, and I haven't seen anything from Angie besides that Voltron thing that she well, did, did some voiceovers. But I she mean, wanted to be um, She-Hulk. Angie did. Oh, really? A big article that she was promoting herself to be She-Hulk. Oh, nice. And it, it actually it went to a black actress. So they're going a totally different way with it. But it's like, that would have been cool for her to be the She-Hulk. Oh, I do remember that now. Yeah, that was a hysterical Conan interview. <laughs> she even had the costume she wore for Halloween. Oh, I didn't time. see that. I'd love to see that. Yeah, but... they posted. I'm sure if you do an internet search, you can find a picture of her in the the Hulk costume you know oh let me look it up <laughs> i was like that that oh been i good. see it now nice <laughs> that's you awesome find it that's uh, perfect <laughs> yeah but that would have been a whole nother genre for her to go into a superhero <laughs> i mean jane Ro jane rizzoli's you know superhero but yeah uh, I mean, they kind of almost come close to that on the show by doing some like costume design kind of choices. Like, I love it when Frankie and Barry are arguing over, you know, their yard sale. And it's like, he's, uh, his mother gives away like a toy robot that was one of Frankie's favorites. And like, Barry buys it for oh, like a yeah. hundred bucks or something. I was like, that's great. Cause everyone can relate to something like that. It was like, mom, he gave away my favorite VHS or my favorite book, you know? Half price books or some shit like that. It's like, and yeah. I always had that gist where it's like parents were trying to get rid of stuff. I'm like, okay, just because I don't use it doesn't mean I don't love it. <laughs> so I, I do love that gist of it. It's like, and I used to always go buy yard sales, but I had no 
concept of money. I was that young. And it's like, my parents are like, don't go to the yard sale because then I have to retrieve you and buy something there. <laughs> now my sister bugged me one time. Why do you buy so many cameras? And it's like, oh my God, there's so many different types of cameras and some of them are antique. And it's like, some of them you can't even buy film for. You have to use photo paper and do the exposure yeah. just right and go to the dark room. And she's like, that's too much work. I'll take uh, my phone out and take my picture. Yeah, I'll see. I, I still miss Kodak cameras. I thought those were so fun how you had the photo right there in your hand. But yeah, it's like people also need to realize just because you're even buying certain stuff, maybe you want to make your own museum. Maybe you want to donate it to some kind of cause. Maybe you want to sell it as a collector's item for twice as value. There's plenty of reasons for why people buy use antiques and other stuff. And there is that's your passion it was like my passion is kind of buying rare <laughs> hard to get vhs tapes or collectors that have transferred them to dvd so to speak i don't do that all the time because that's expensive as hell but um we all got our own passion i like finding rare everyone likes to just show off hey i just bought this new expensive blu-ray pack i'm like yeah whatever i'd, I'd be more impressed if you bought you know one that was not only hard to find, but has like multiple different cuts of a movie that's, you know, been supposedly lost the time or was known for having different versions you know, of one big concise narrative, put a troubled production, made it hard to find or something like that. Just showing, uh, I'm more into just kind of cult film history, but yeah, I mean, photographs is definitely another interesting thing in that you're learning to appreciate the art that goes into it and you know, and again, I think you can say most certainly, I mean, digital has not only enhanced reality, but it has just spoiled so many millennials who just seem to think, you know, I'm a millennial myself, but I know enough that, hey, you know, this is, I had enough people reminding me along the way that, you know, not everything is, you know, just solved with a simple click or just turning on a digital oven is like there, there's a lot of stuff you still got to know how to do manually because you know if the world goes to shit there's going to be a lot of people who just like i give up life you know i don't i don't know how everything else works and with taking a photo is like yeah the phone option is just really spoiled everyone they think it is I such can, an instant society i could well exactly it's like yeah i I can take it, it's there. If I don't like it, I can retake it again or I can digitally enhance it. I was like, <laughs> you see, you don't realize everyone else didn't have that option. They had to go into the dark room. <laughs> I remember out. when we got push button phones and we didn't have to do the rotary dial phone. Mm -hmm. I, I'm aging myself now, but it's like, holy crap, that was so nice to be able to just push the button. <laughs> I still miss real... flip phones, hell. <laughs> huh? I still miss flip phones, hell. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. My first cell phone was a flip phone. Like, I think for the longest time I had the old-fashioned Nokia's that I took really shitty photos. Our <laughs> moon photos became an option on a phone. Right. I, I did not want to upgrade. I was a geezer in the phone world before everyone just finally said, you should just upgrade to family plan. I'm like, I guess. I don't think it's oh, so being a technology teacher, I was into technology. I mean, I had a, a cheap digital camera when they first came out and it's like playing around with digital stuff. It's like, that was pretty cool. I had to stop doing that though. It gets expensive. 
Uh, yeah, I think I think we're all kind of in a bind right now. It's like the stuff we would really typically be doing, we can't do this next few years. You got to buckle down and save money. But I mean, I used to at college, one of my jobs working on campus, in addition to taking classes, was uh, I was setting up the VHS projector, making sure it was plugged in the right way, and there was always going to be that one professor who would just not even know how to turn it on, and you would have to instruct them over the phone. <laughs> It's like everything is plugged up. We made sure to do this before class. Uh, you know, <laughs> I had an instructor call me. I worked at the education center when I lived in Las Vegas, and they nice. called me up and they're like, Hey, Chris, I can't make it to class tonight, and I want to show this movie. Can you like set it all up and run the movie and then have them take notes and turn it in? And I'm starting to think, Okay, I mean, I was in the class, that's why they picked me, and it's like. I'm not getting paid to do that, but okay, sure, fine. So yeah, I didn't have it so, so lucky. Upset. Well, I didn't have it so lucky because sometimes <laughs> the equipment would be rented out to another classroom for that day, and it's like I'm not going to make a fool of myself and also not be able to unlock your damn computer, which was like I can't unlock it anyway because you don't have your password. <laughs> That's what unlocks the damn machine, and yeah, I mean. It definitely makes a difference if you're part of the class and that was coming around the time where everyone was getting used to sending video files over email and everyone getting bigger storages for yeah. their digital thing but yeah it's like it, it it does become concerning when it's like they'll ask you to do something and like i can get it to you in an hour i can't get it to you in 20 minutes <laughs> or i i wish you had warned me so i'd have time before your class begun to set this up for you <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm not a genie in a bottle, but Rizzoli and Isles sure are. <laughs> fiction oh, I love that show. To me, it'll be around forever because I own it. I've got DVD copies of it. I've yeah. got I've got electronic copies in my personal Apple TV, mm -hmm. and I have HBO Max, so it's there. I can watch right. It. If you don't want to take out your disc or your digital yeah. copies, you can just start it up on the streaming service. And that's kind of where I am now with all my other stuff I've had over well, the years. And my DVDs, when I can, are being converted on our Plex server so that oh, I nice. can have a digital copy of it. So I saw that you could do that on Plex, and was like, wow, that's definitely an interesting formula. <laughs> Some of my my uh, I can't get my Stargate to copy over though, so it's oh, like oh dear. I wanted to do all my sci-fi shows and get them the ones that aren't on like i can watch um all my star trek because i have cbs all access yeah it's everywhere <laughs> wait that's paramount plus now it's like so i can watch mm -hmm. those i don't have to worry about it but yeah i mean on. hell they're even on for the longest time they've been on all the netflix hulu and prime platforms i mean track will definitely live on <laughs> But see, I tried finding Crossing Jordan. It's not on anything. No, only Star TV. And it used to be on Prime for a bit, and then they got taken down, and then it seemed like there was rumors that they were going to release it all on DVD, and it was like it was all a hoax. It's not coming out anytime soon. No, it's on DVD. Oh, yeah, but only season one, I thought. No, the whole the whole six seasons. Uh, okay, well, then it's, some something got worked out. It be arriving at my house today. It's probably downstairs right now, waiting on me to pick up my box off my porch uh, even better now if they could do that with homicide that'd be even better <laughs> i love homicide homicide hunter joe kinda 
Oh yeah. Uh, oh no no. I'm talking life on the street. Oh, I guess I don't know that one. Uh, that that was from the '90s. Had Andre Bragger that's introduced the John Munch character before he was on Law and Order. Mm. No, uh, I've seen that one. Oh uh, yeah. Well, it's hard to get that tracked down, but it's never going to be on streaming because of the music rights and whatever reason. There's just not enough demand, and despite it being in the same universe as Saint Elsewhere and Law and Order, is just ah. I don't know why. It's just, it's got a huge fan base, but I was able to get the DVDs discounted at 40 bucks and it was so worth it. I, it, I, I benched for that all and it was just wonderful. <laughs> totally recommend any, anyone who can find a discount on Amazon and eBay. Uh, I, I know you would definitely dig it because it's got a lot of the same kind of just shot on actual location as the place it claims to be in and lab work and the uh, uh, you know off-color detectives all helping each other out and mm -hmm. equal opportunity both you know male and female and just showing the uh, workplace and uh, uh, societal politics behind it all it all set in baltimore and i think in, in many ways you'll after you see it you'll totally see how it kind of influenced crash and jordan some of the other shows i definitely got a vibe for that on the closer especially because just showing all the interconnected systems and just all the writers doing a good job of just again characterizing everybody um and i mean in many ways that's why i'm doing all these specials on these certain shows it's just how can you not they they illustrate perfectly how again everyone is living and breathing and more or less just you know connected instead of just being just ho-hum entertainment you know <laughs> and so like you say as you've already illustrated numerous times the show is now immortal because it's just going to be constantly rediscovered or rewatched. watched well, if there's fans it'll be out there and there's definitely fan base so yeah I, I can't imagine it not being uh talked about in the future so thank you ever so much for being on the show and Come back anytime, Christy. <laughs> okay, sounds good. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, cure what ails you. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, Dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? 
every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag and PJ picks one out at random. Mm -hmm. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games, mm -hmm. music. music. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the big one. Music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just. Oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, please. Yeah. Yes. I am the master storyteller yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you could think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes. the Google Play, yes. Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah, we gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah, ah, ah. All that good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't run the listeners away, Peach. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could it's get out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. 
watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at twelve years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did be a you watch movie. this shit at twelve? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's late, it's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one last plot holes a It's time to get busy With your friend Stephen At eilfm.podbean.com Welcome to Who Was She Podcast I'm your host, Tara Jabari After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She? will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others? connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast. Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author Wendy Heller and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at 
Who Was She podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant. Two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. Hi there. It's Heather from the Watching Netflix Without You podcast. Did you know that there are over 1,200 Netflix original feature films and documentaries? And that number is only growing. So I've made it my mission to watch as many as I possibly can. Then, with a delightful guest or guests, disclaimer, more often than not my brother Ryan, we spend an episode rating, reviewing, and discussing a film at length. The first half of every episode is spoiler-free for those who haven't seen it yet. And in the second half, after a very clear spoiler warning, we dive into it. And that's really about it. You can listen to Watching Netflix Without You on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We now continue with our program. Follow us.
us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a Jack Dub Review Show.